All right. Now, today we're going to be doing something a little bit special. I'm going to be tag teaming with one of our brothers who is amazing, who you will see in just a little bit. But I'm going to do a shorter message today. Just give us a little flavor here. Let me give you some context for this passage that we're going to be looking at. Jesus is preaching up in the northern region of Israel, and he is getting into some fights with people. This is the period where people are checking him out. Right, especially the leaders, the religious leaders of Jesus' time, they were checking him out. They were saying, is this person really who he says he is? Is this the one we've been waiting for? And what you see in John 5 and 6 is you see some contentious arguments and some, some tense discourse between Jesus and some of the religious leaders, but you also see some of the most incredible ministry. In fact, the part that we're going to look at today is right after Jesus does one of his most notable miracles. He, many people know the story, he breaks bread and he just keeps breaking, right? It just keeps breaking. There's more and more bread, and it says that he feeds 5,000 men, not including women and children. So we don't know exactly how many women and children are there. I have heard figures. It was probably around 20,000 people, which if you look at, you know, the demographics of that time period, 20,000 people is like the entire region, right? Like everyone and their mom had come out to see Jesus and he does one of his most notable miracles. He multiplies food. And look, you got to put yourself back in their shoes in that time. Now, y'all, we talk about this, but y'all are rich, right? You guys aren't worried about getting food. You're worried about what kind of food you want today, right? You're worried about sushi or tacos. It's not a question of can I have any food. It's can I have either or. But how many of you guys know that for the vast majority of human history, Getting food is one of the primary concerns of everybody. Am I making sense? So for Jesus to multiply food, for you know, for us we think, whoa, he's a buffet. He's like, what? he's like, all you can eat barbecue, right? But for them in their time, they're like, whoa, this guy can multiply food. We'll, we'll never be hungry again. We'll be able to just be around him. And what happens? Everybody wants to get to know Jesus. They're following after him he goes to the other side of what's called the, the 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 sea of galilee right and they follow him right they follow him they want to they want to see this jesus so we're in john chapter 6 go down to verse 22 if you don't have it it will be on the board i'm going to be reading out of the new living translation and it says this the next day the crowd that had stayed on the far shore saw that the disciples had taken the only boat and they realized Jesus had not gone with them. Several boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the Lord had blessed the bread and the people had eaten. So when the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went across to Capernaum to look for him. They found him on the other side of the lake and asked, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. You want to be with me because I fed you. Not because you understood the miraculous signs. But don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. For God the Father has given me the seal of his approval. Amen. Let's stop right there. 
So this miracle of feeding the 5,000 is, is one of the few that's mentioned in every single gospel story. There's four of them, right, in your Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This particular miracle is mentioned every single time because it is that important. It's that central to the story of Jesus. It's not just a story of him being able to do miraculous things like multiply food. That is an important aspect of this story. But notice what Jesus says here. He says, you came to me because I fed you, not because you understood the miraculous signs. What's Jesus getting at? He's saying, you dummies, you missed the point. You missed the point. I did a sign to show you something deeper and you're completely missing it right now. And you just want food. Does this make sense? Now, have you ever tried to get a lesson across to someone and they just were not getting it? That happens to me like every day of my life. And I'm not talking about you guys. It's because I have small children. Okay? Small children are tough. You can't communicate with them. First of all, how many of you guys know that like to God... We're like little kids, right? To God, he's trying to dumb it down for us. But we're like, huh? Bread? He's trying to make it obvious, but for us, it's difficult. For us, it's hard. We don't understand things of the spirit. That's why we do stupid things. Like, we live our whole lives to make a little bit more money and we buy a nice car and we're happy for like a week and then we're not happy again and we don't know why does this make sense does this sound like some of the stuff that we struggle with okay maybe the car isn't what it is for some of you maybe it's something else maybe it's that new video game or maybe it's that boyfriend or girlfriend that was gonna be the one maybe it's a lot of different things but the point is this we don't understand why we feel the ways that we do we don't understand the things that truly give us life and the things that don't so what we do is we chase after these things that we hope will give us the feelings, the happiness, the contentment, the peace, the joy that we desperately want, but we end up running in circles and God saying, hey, 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 trust me. And we're saying, what about what, God? <laughs> right? Trust me. This is the key theme of the entire Bible. And in fact, that's the message that Jesus is trying to get across here. The problem is he's trying to talk with like a two-year-old. This week, I tried to have a conversation with my daughter. My daughter is five years old. You sometimes see her running around during service. This week's topic of conversation was why we shouldn't flip up our dress all the time. It might seem obvious to you, but to my five-year-old daughter, she doesn't understand. My kids, they don't like clothes. They don't want to wear clothes at home. They're just in their underwear. And I have to tell them, no, when people come, you have to put on clothes, right? And Eden, you know, sometimes she just stands there and she does this. And I'm like, no, sweetie, don't do that. I had to explain why. 
And it was, to be honest, a little bit of an awkward conversation. Right? I said, I sat them down. And I said, honey, some people, they sometimes touch people in bad ways. Right? And, and she's like, she's like, <laughs> and I'm like, how do I talk about, you know, she doesn't even understand why people feel this way and that they do mean weird things so we can't show our underwear. You know, it's like, how do you have that conversation with a five-year-old? This is, you know, I don't know. I'm desperately trying to figure it out. But I get the same sense that Jesus here is trying to communicate something to everyone that it should be obvious, except they're not getting it. And he's like, look, I'm trying to tell you the simple message. I'm giving you this miraculous sign. And the sign is always meant to, it's meant to enlighten you as to the message, but you're not getting it. You're just thinking about food again. And Jesus is saying, no, stop thinking about just food. I'm trying to give you something much better. The whole point of me multiplying food is to show you that it's not that valuable. Like that's, for me, that's easy. I snap my fingers, the food multiplies. And some of us in our lives, maybe we've been following Jesus, but we sometimes forget that, don't we? We get so consumed with, I have to, you know, do really well in my studies so that I can get a good job, so that I don't starve to death. And God is like, well, if you trust me, I promise to take care of those needs for you. So why are you always so anxious and worried about it? Well, because I don't know how to trust you in this area. Am I making sense? So the question is, in this case, what is the message that Jesus is really trying to say simply to them? And really, he says it back in John 5, a chapter earlier, really simply. He says this in John 5, 25. You don't have to turn that. It'll be on the board. It says, and I assure you that the time is coming. Indeed, it's here now. When the dead will hear my voice, the voice of the Son of God, and those who listen will live. The Father has life in himself, and he has granted that same life-giving power to his Son. And he has given him authority to judge everyone because he is the Son of Man. Don't be so surprised. Indeed, the time is coming when all the dead in their graves will hear the voice of God's Son, and they will rise again. Okay, now I know the half of you are like, huh? What the heck does that mean? We can sometimes spiritualize a lot of what Jesus is saying. Sometimes that's appropriate. Like sometimes you're supposed to understand that he's not being literal. And there are times when he actually is being literal. I get it. It can be confusing. But in this case, you don't have to confuse it yourself. He is saying this. One day, you are going to rise from the dead. That's it. Oh, you mean like spiritually, like, oh, I feel alive. No. No, that's not what he's saying, right? He's not talking about you spiritually rising from the dead. He's not about you literally rise from the dead. He said one day the Son of Man is going to sound his voice, and the dead will hear it, and those who listen will live. And then he says this, don't be so surprised. Can you imagine why he had to say that? They were probably looking at him like, some of them 
were probably like, okay, I can do this. And some of them were probably like, uh. If you don't know this about the first century, this was actually a big theological debate in the first century. About half the people were like, yeah, the dead are going to rise because they'd heard that from a prophet before. And half of them were like, no, that's just spiritually speaking. It's not real. It's not literal. But here, Jesus is making it perfectly clear. He's saying this. One day, the dead are going to rise. And then he he throws the real bomb out there. And guess who is going to judge them? Moi. I'm going to judge them. That's the part, I think, where they're probably like, what? Right? It's one thing to believe that one day somebody, you know, we might rise from the dead. And it's another thing to say that this dude who's standing there speaking to us, that he's going to be the one who judges them. Now, can you get a sense of how difficult this message must have been in Jesus' times? Now, think about it. He's got the entire region coming out for him. All of them are coming out. Why? Because his teachings are powerful, but mostly because he's performing all these miraculous acts, right? Mostly because he's raising the dead. He's healing the sick. He's multiplying food. And people are like, you got to come see this guy, Jesus. This could be the one that we're waiting for. And then Jesus is throwing them this crazy curveball. Like, look, it's not enough that you come to just see the miraculous signs. I'm not just a nice pony show. I'm not here to entertain you. I'm here to warn you. That's what he's saying. I'm here to warn you, to say, look, one day you are going to rise from the dead and you're going to be judged. And the question is, will you live forever? And that's the part where people start getting a little uncomfortable. This is the part, just like today, when we talk about this, people are like, okay, well, this is weird. Can I tell you, it's a lot like me trying to talk to my daughter about sexual feelings. She doesn't feel those things. She is not aware of that reality, right? She doesn't know what the heck I'm talking about. She just knows I can't show my underwear because daddy says so. Am I making sense here? He, I'm trying to talk to her about something that is beyond her maturity level. In the same way, brothers and sisters, Jesus is talking to us And it's beyond our maturity level. It's not something that we tend to think about every day. And yet here's Jesus and he's saying this. Stop caring about what you're going to eat. Stop caring so much about food. Stop caring so much about these things that are passing away. Why? Because those things don't really matter. I'll tell you what matters. What matters is will you live forever? If eternal life is a real thing, then isn't it worth just about anything we could pay for it? If it's a real thing, then doesn't it justify almost any cost we would pay in this life? And guess what? Jesus is going to say over and over and over and over again that that is the case, right? He's going to say the kingdom of God is like a great pearl that a man found and he went back and he sold everything that he had to buy the field with the pearl. 
He's going to talk about if you want to be my disciples, you want to follow after me, you must take up your cross, deny yourself. It means die to your old way of life. You've got to do that. Why? So that you can rise again, so that you can come alive in me. This is what he's saying over and over and over and over again in the scriptures. And the great contest that we are in, brothers and sisters, is do we believe this person, Jesus? Is he who he says that he is? Because that's a pretty vast claim. In our culture, we want to say, well, Jesus, he was a nice man. He was a good teacher. Yeah, I like Jesus. Have you ever heard somebody say, I love Jesus, I just don't really like his followers? Can I suggest those people have no idea what Jesus was saying, right? Because if you read him honestly, for what he was actually saying, I'm going to tell you this, Jesus was a lot crazier than I am. Jesus was saying things that were a lot more radical than I say. Because he was saying, look, I am the bread of life. That's what it goes on to say. And he says, you've got to eat of me. You've got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. It says, when he said that, it said that everybody was offended. I love that he didn't even try and explain that. Because what was his point? His point was this. I'm trying to teach you spiritual things. But they're only gone through trust. Brothers and sisters, I want to challenge you today. If you're going to follow Jesus, it will cost you everything. It will cost you everything. That's the price that we pay. We give our lives and we take on his life. And he teaches us about things that we don't understand. Right now, I want to invite up our brother Joe. How many of you guys know Joe? Come on up here, homie. Now, you might notice Joe looks a little bit different from most of you guys, right? He's a good-looking man, isn't he? But he's taken, amen? He's taken. His wife, Whitney, is right here with us. Now, Joe is a student right now at Biola. I invited Joe to come and share his story about how Jesus, this crazy Jesus, encountered him personally in his life. So let's listen. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Hello. Can you hear me? Oh, awesome. How's everyone doing? Doing good? All right, sweet. So I'm going to start off with my story, and then we'll see where God takes it from there. First, I want to start off, um, is there like a mat in here at all? Is there a mat? In the house? No? Is there a Sarah in the house at all? Is there a Sarah? Sarah? Okay. I feel like God put you on my heart and he just said, I want you to know that you're known by him, you're loved by him, and he cares about you so much, and he has such a purpose and a destiny for you. So, I just want you to know that. (laughs) So, awesome. Cool. Well, God's awesome. Um, Is there another Sarah, too? Is there another Sarah? Okay. Yeah. I Kind of the same thing. God just wants... The Sarahs, which also means princess in the Bible, by the way, um, for you to know that you're chosen, you're royalty, and he loves you so much. Um, so I just want to start off with my story, kind of what um, the enemy tried to do. So basically, I was a miscarriage. I don't know if you guys know what that means, but basically, when my mom had me, 
she had a blood clot in the first trimester, which means I wasn't going to be alive. So when you have a baby in the first tri- three trimester, the three months, if you have a, a miscarriage, what it means is that you, you go to the bathroom and then all of a sudden you see like blood and that means you've lost your kid. So my mom had two miscarriages before she had me and she also had a blood clot when I was being born. And so she went to the hospital, she ran in and she said, my son's dead, my son's dead, I don't know what to do. And they said, let's just check and see if he's still there. And so they put a sonogram on her stomach, and sure enough, I was still there, right? And that was the first instance that the enemy tried to take me out. My mom and dad got divorced when I was two years old, and my grandfather passed away when I was about seven months. So alcohol and drugs had taken over my family. And because of that, it ended up splitting my family. So this hierarchy that had a patriarch at the top, which was my grandfather, that led every single person in the family to know about Jesus and to, to know about God and to take people to church and do the right thing, ended up splitting our whole family. And so that's what I grew up with. I grew up with visitation rights with my father. Every other weekend I saw him. Every week I saw my mom. But I saw this very distinct difference. My mom was single. My dad just dated all the time. And because of that, I grew some things in my heart about what a man should be and should not be. And so I grew up with, like, these values of Christianity, but not really a relationship, if you know what I mean. Do you guys understand what what I mean by that? So, like, I went to church on, like, Christmas and Easter, but I never really had, like, this relationship with God um, where I had, like, it was like a best friend. Does that make sense? And so... um, I, all I knew was that I was going to Christmas and Easter service to please my grandmother. That's all I knew, right? Um, because it's either you're going to do it for someone or you're going to do it for yourself. And so um, because of that, I had a distance between me and my dad. I had an emotional disconnect. And I don't know if any in here can relate to that. But I had an emotional disconnect that left me with an orphan spirit. That left me with something that I knew that I had a longing to be close to my dad, but I just didn't have that. I didn't have that intimacy that I knew that I wanted. And um, from the time I was in fourth grade until my freshman year in high school, I was bullied. Every single day, I would come home and cry to my mom and tell her that I'm being called fat, I'm being called gay, I'm being called stupid and weird and the outcast. And that was my life up until my freshman year in high school. And then I started doing wrestling, and I got really big, and they stopped. Um, (laughs) So, yes, Jesus. So I got into... I got into wrestling, I got into football, I got into baseball, and um, those were really my outlets, right? Like, you have an outlet, whether it's, it's anything like video games or TV. For me, it was sports. I really loved playing sports, but the thing about sports was that it gave me this rage inside of me because I wasn't willing to deal with what was actually going on in my heart because I was so frustrated that whether my dad was was there for me, but not there for me. Whether my mom was there for me or not there for me, I had this longing in my heart to be known by a father. And I didn't know it was God at the time. And so I I developed insecurity issues. I developed identity issues. I was on all these types of relationships because I just saw that in my life. I saw my family, boyfriends and girlfriends, being invited over to Christmas and Thanksgiving and Easter and all these family gatherings, and yet they would leave and come and leave and come, and that just was my life for a long time. And I actually ended up giving a lot of myself away. I was very sexually promiscuous until God blessed me with a beautiful wife, and, and I'm just so blessed by that. 
And then, inter- and then I was introduced to pornography when I was at age, age 11 years old. And that led to a 10-year addiction. And that spiraled me out of control. And I was so caught up in the fact that I, my worth was bound up in how much I could give myself away. And how much that I could just be there for someone else. And all I saw was something that I could take. I was a taker. I was a child of wrath before God. I was a child of wrath. And I was a son, not of God, but of the enemy. And the reason why I share these things is because it brought into question who I was. It brought into question my identity and who I actually belonged to. Let me tell you. When I was 16 years old, I encountered a man named Jesus. No one in my whole life, up until I was 16 years old, came up to me and told me about this Jesus that people know. That this gospel that can actually change a person's life, no one shared Jesus with me. I had to go into a church building to experience him. But I'm so glad I did. Because when I was 16 years old, I was invited into a church camp, just kind of like winter retreat, right? And I was invited to a church camp. Someone sponsored me to go into the camp. And I had just broken my ankle. Do any of you know what parkour is? You guys know? So I was on a two-story building, and I jumped off. (laughs) And I did a front flip, and I snapped my ankle completely in half. I could have landed on my head, but God saved me, right? So I was 16 years old at the time, and I snapped my ankle. And I remember going to this camp. And the pastor brought me forward right here, right in the front. And the pastor said, all right, I'm going to have you pray over this other guy that hurt his ankle this last week. And I'm like, okay, I've never done this. And as I'm standing there in a boot, right, and I just had surgery. I had plates and screws in my leg. And the doctor said, you're not going to walk for a long time. You're not going to be able to run. You're not going to be able to do anything. And I'm praying over this young man. And I watch him as he took the wrap off his leg. And he started running around the sanctuary. And then God showed me. As I was standing there, I threw the crutches to the side, and I started jumping up and down on my leg, right? That was the first time I'd ever encountered healing like that. And God told me, I'm going to use your hands to touch people's lives to heal them. And as I was there, I was sitting on my knees, right? I was 16, and I was on my knees like this. And I remember Jesus came right beside me, and I saw a vision And he came and he grabbed my chains of pornography. He grabbed my chains of addiction. He grabbed my chains of insecurity. He grabbed my chains of identity issues, of of gender issues. He grabbed everything in my life and he shattered it at his feet. That's the Jesus that I've encountered. And because of that, that, that choice at 16 years old to say, you know what, God, I'm all in. I'm, I'm tired of living on the fence. I'm tired of living cold. I want to be hot. Just set me on fire for you. And I remember the story of a man who said he had a dream, and he was sitting on a fence. And there was a devil on one side, and there was God on the other. And he said, I don't know what to choose. And the devil said, the fence is also mine. And the God, and he's like, he woke up a Christian. And that has stuck with me. Because being hot or cold, I have been hot for six years of my life. Yes, there have been ups and downs. Yes, there have been very, very lows and very, very highs. But I have a God that's with me and consistent through it all. I have a God that's comforted me for the last six years of my life to give me my identity back, to restore my sexuality, to restore the joy where rage had pierced its 
It's wounds into my heart, and yet I still have a father now. I no longer have an orphan spirit. I have a son spirit. I'm chosen and blessed in God and in Christ, and I know that this is also for the body. This is for us. And that's the hope that I get to bring to you today. That I was dead and he made me alive. I was blind and now I see. This God that we talk about is not just a theology. He's a reality and he's every day I wake up. He takes grace and mercy as a defibrillator and wakes me up in the morning. And that's the God that we serve. This is the Jesus that we get to live with. Amen. Thanks. As a result of this. I've gotten to baptize all of my best friends. I've gotten to baptize my own mom. My own mom. That she watched me for 16 to now 22, and she said, I watched you follow Jesus, but I never actually did it on my own. And she said, you raised me. And I got to baptize my mom. God's restored my joy. He's restored my gratefulness, my thanksgiving, my purpose, my meaning, my destiny, my identity, security, sexuality. I'm a child of God, and now I have a father that I can cry out, Abba, which means father in Hebrew. And so I just want to remind us today of who we actually are. Uh, if I could have the band come up, that'd be great. Um, now, we're sons and daughters. And I think, especially in college, there's so many things that want to take our identity captive, like studies or relationships or just things that want to take our attention away from God. I feel like, I feel like he wants to remind us of what he's actually done. Because I feel like there's so much power in his blood. In his blood, there's forgiveness. In his blood, there's love. In his blood, there's acceptance. And in his blood, there's healing. I feel like if you're in here today and you're like, man, I just I have this constant pain or I'm just broken or I'm just in need of a touch, I believe that's the God that we serve. That today, even the woman with the issue of blood, for 12 years, she was bleeding, and she was wounded, and she was hurt, and she was like, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, I could be made whole. And that's the Jesus that we serve. And I feel like, I feel like I just want to break it down in the simplicity of the gospel. There's a man named Jesus of Nazareth who came 2,000 years ago as a baby, as a servant, and became the lowest in society. And said, I want to serve these people. I want to become the lowest of the low. And I want to love. I'm going to be a king, but I'm not going to reign and rule and use my power to demean or to demolish. But I'm going to use it to serve. And he came on a cross, just like that one right over there. Not that one, but another one like that. And he willingly pinned himself. To a tree. And I believe when he screamed his last words, it is finished. It was for a relationship. To say, you're finished trying to find it in anything else. It's finished trying to find your identity in anything else. It's finished in trying to find it 
in your school or in your family or in your studies or in the things that you do. You're not a human doing. You're a human being. And you get to be a son. You get to be a daughter. When you wake up, you don't have to do. You just get to be. And the reality of being changes everything. Because I used to be a son of do. And now I get to be a son of be. And like the Beatitudes, when Jesus explains, blessed are you who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the meek in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Those are attitudes of being. You get to live that. And I'm here today to say I'm not perfect. I'm an imperfect person. But I'm no longer a sinner. I'm a saint. My identity is a saint. I'm a saint chosen. And that's the identity that God offers to us today. That's the identity that God says, I'm willing to give you something greater than what you were chasing. I was chasing sex and addiction and everything that I had in my life. And God said, let me take it and give you something worth more. I took a bite of the bread of life and I I drank from the well of life and I have never hungered or thirst again. And I'm here today to tell you, just like the Samaritan woman at the well, come and meet a Jesus that has changed everything. He told me all that I've ever done, and yet he didn't judge me, he didn't condemn me, he didn't stone me, he loved me. And if you're in here, I want you to know that God is not mad at you. God is not mad at you. The church feels like God is so upset with them. God is righteously angry when sin messes with his kids. Because he knows there's so much more for you. There's so much more for you. There is righteousness in him. There is identity in him. There is security in him. You'll never again have to put your worth in what other people tell you about you. Because before you were born, God had already spoken your destiny and your worth before people ever encountered you. He knew you before you were born. He formed you in your mother's womb. His love is deeper than the ocean, and his forgiveness outstretches east from west. This is the God that we serve. And I just want to remind people today that if you need freedom, if you want to encounter this man named Jesus like I did at 16 years old, he's here today. He's also at your home. He's also in your room. He's also in the cafeteria. He's also at the library. He's every single place you go. He's omnipresent. Sometimes he manifests himself in a very real way. And I have seen it over and over and over again in the church body where God does something miraculous. And if we're going to be BTM, a place where revival takes place in Southern California, then that means we get to stand in the place where we say, God, use me. God, encounter me. God, use me to bring revival onto my campus. I'm tired of watching all of these revivals take place around the world. Dead people coming alive. The sick being healed. The broken being restored. I want to take part of that revival, God. Use me as an agent of change in this generation. And you don't have to be me. You get to be you. 
You get to be the unique, designed, creative, loving person that God created you to be. You don't have to be an evangelist. You don't have to be a person with hospitality. Just tell someone you love them. They get weirded out. They do. Tell someone you're grateful for the things that they do. They get weirded out. I just want to share a quick story. And then uh, we'll just pray. So me and my wife were at a restaurant recently. And as we're sitting there, I hear God say something about our waitress. And I hear him say, Mother. And I said, Okay. She's a mom. And then I was told Whitney, and she was like, you should say something. And I was like, I'm really scared. And she was like, don't worry. And I heard daughter. So I said, okay, she's a mom, but God, you also want me to let her know she's a daughter. And he said, no, she has a daughter. And I said, okay. And so the waitress came back, and she gave us her bill, and she walked away. And I said, hey, hold on. One second. I said, are you a mom? And she goes, yeah. And I said, do you have a daughter? And she goes, how do you know that? And I said, because I'm a Christian. And I said, and I know my father's voice. And my dad wants you to know that he loves you. You're known by him. And he sees you. And you're so precious to him. You're such a hardworking mom. You mean so much to him. And I said, do you belong to a church at all? And she goes, no. Actually, I don't go to church. I'm also a Christian, but I don't go to church because of this, that, and this other thing. And I said, okay, well, it's not about the church. It's about a relationship. And if you have a relationship with him, that's what matters. The church is to build you up and be a community for you. And right now, your situation doesn't allow you for that. And he knows that. So he's going to meet you in those places when you don't have enough time. And he's going to encounter you and build you up. And she goes, okay. And I remember looking at my wife, and she goes, also, it's my birthday. And I was like, of course it is. God's awesome. And, um, and then she stood us both up, and she's like, can I give you guys a hug? This lady we had never met before just hugged us. And I just felt the love of God just encounter her. And that is the gospel we get to carry. Some of you, it may be like a, a name, like me, or it might be, I just need to tell them Jesus loves them. I just need to say, hey. I care about you. I love you. I'm grateful for the work you're doing. My coworkers always get weirded out when I thank them for washing the dishes. They said, I've never had a coworker tell me thank you for washing the dishes. And I said, I just want you to know you're appreciated. I just want you to know that I'm grateful for you. I care about you. And I feel like that's the gospel, the simplicity of the gospel we get to carry is to remind people that they're loved because this world is so full of division and hate and animosity that they want to separate people from people instead of coming together in unity. And the church is one place where we get to actually come together in unity and then to send each other out and say, go love the world. Go love the world because they don't know how to love themselves. So let's show them. Let's show them how to love. So if you guys could stand for me, we'll just pray real quick. And then uh, we'll just have like prayer team down front. Yeah, go for it. I just want to give one word. I, I feel like the Lord has spoken to this to me a couple times in my quiet time. But there are some people here that you know that God has spoken to you in your life. God has answered prayers in your life. 
but what I sense is that he has been kind of the, the third or the fourth priority in your life for a long time now. And I just hear the Spirit of the Lord saying, you must put me first. It's time. It's time. I'm just declaring this prophetically right now. It's time in this season to make a decision that you're going to put God first in your life. And I know that there's this spirit of fear. I just see it. It's like a stranglehold on you, and you're afraid of what that means. But the Lord says, will you trust me? Will you trust me that I know how to lead your life? That I know exactly what's best for you? Will you trust me that I want you to be blessed? That I want what's best for you in a real way? I'm not a tyrant. I'm not a dictator. I'm a loving father. And the time's come. And he's saying, will you trust me in this season? Right now, in the name of Jesus, I rebuke fear. I rebuke fear in Jesus' name. All fears. I even just see it's from, there's been leaders in your past. Maybe they've been father figures or mother figures. And you just feel like it, they betrayed your trust. But hear me, the Lord says, I'm not like those people that you knew before. I am a good shepherd. I'm a good father. And you can trust me, but you've got to make the decision. I'm not going to force you to trust me. You've got to invite me into that place and say, God, I want to put you first in my life. Not second, not third, not fourth or fifth. But God, I want to put you first. And hear me, there's a blessing for you in this season. There's an intimacy that you've seen other people have in different times. And you've always wanted for yourself. You wanted, you've wanted to be able to hear God for yourself in your own life. I want to tell you that God wants set for you in this season. And for some of you, you're just afraid. You're like, God, I want to put you first, but I'm afraid I won't be able to do it. Here's what you need to do. You need to make the decision with your will. God, I want to put your first and I'm going to try. I'm going to try. And then you need to ask for help. Hear me. Some of you need to ask for help. That's okay. You can talk to me. You can talk to any of our staff people, our house church leaders. We are here to help you find Jesus. We're here to help you follow Jesus in your life. I want to lovingly challenge you even now. God wants you. He wants your whole heart. He wants the whole thing. He wants all of it. If you can hear his voice today, hear me. Don't harden your heart. Open it up and say, God, I want that. Take a step of faith and say, God, I've been wanting it. I'm taking this step today. Amen.